Hey everybody, uh, we're back in our podcast of Revelation, and uh, we're actually going to, I think this is going to be whatever, our fifth or sixth podcast, and uh, we're finally getting into the book itself. Um, we're actually going to jump into uh, Revelation chapter one and uh, kind of uh, get into the scene, the setting, and uh, some of what's going on um, in the early parts of, of revelation. Now, as we go through this, um, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely read parts of the scripture, but, uh, I, I know that you could follow along. So if you're following along today, basically we're going to be in, uh, revelation chapter one, uh, verses four through 20. And, uh, j again, we're just kind of setting the scene. We've kind of laid down some of the major, uh, themes, um, major events and actions of the book of Revelation, some interpretations and um, ideology relating to Revelation. But of course, you know, our goal here is to make Revelation uh, uh, applicable, um, our, to, to make the book fit with the whole rest of the Bible and not let it be something that's distinguished from what God is actually doing. Uh, and the rest of of the Bible, and I think this is this becomes evident of that uh, revelation fits right with the Gospels and the epistles right off the bat because Jesus, as as he uh, begins to reveal um, this this uh, this uh, uh, apocryphal uh, book to uh, to John, you can see that Jesus uh, is giving hope. And he's revealing himself more fully um, for those difficult times that are ahead for the church and the difficult times that will be manifested when the end of times comes. You know, and we've kind of been discussing, uh, are, we, are we in the last days? Um, and, uh, you know, we've talked about some people have responded with yes, uh, no, uh, or, or maybe. And um, so... Uh, are we living in the in the last days? And of course, uh, from my amillennialist point of view, you know, um, we've been living in the last days since Jesus Christ ascended. Uh, we've been living in the millennium since Jesus Christ ascended. The millennium, of course, does not um, relate to a literal period of a thousand years um, post rapture um, and uh, pre second coming. Um, and uh, so uh, we're, to me, yes, we're living in the last days. And last days is one of those phrases that we see in the Bible, like in Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, um, where it says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, Peter is preaching this, of course, on, on, on the day of Pentecost. And he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Now, Peter is taking that prophecy in Joel and he's relating it to what is happening right now uh, on the day of Pentecost. And so, of course, that was 2,000 years ago, yet yet there is a prophecy being fulfilled in what Joel calls the last days, and Peter then repeats that prophecy and calls it the last days. Um, so Joel predicts, um, and then the day of Pentecost realizes the last days. So the question is, if Pentecost happened 2,000 years ago, uh, then how could those be the last days? You know, And the truth is, as I said, since... Since Pentecost into the present, we've been in the fourth quarter, right? 
Um, but the question that we have to be asking ourselves is how long will this quarter last? Um, uh, how long will the last days uh, last? Um, and uh, we, we don't know. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. Um, you know, uh, we, we're called to be ready uh, at any time because it could be today. You know, it, it literally could be tomorrow. Um, Jesus relates this in several parables. Um, he relates it in several messages that, that you just have to be ready. Mm-hmm. The thief doesn't announce himself. You know, when the bridegroom comes, be ready. And uh, because when the bridegroom comes and he takes his bride into uh, the, the, the bridal chamber and he shuts the door, um, that's it, Right. And uh, so we, we just have to constantly be, uh, be ready um, for when, that, when the last days are, are, are over. Um, that's the truth of the matter. So as we open up the book of, of Revelation here, basically the first few verses, you're going to see, uh, you know, um, kind of an introduction here. Um, you're going to see uh, a little bit of, of like um, a typical... Uh, uh, introduction into um, uh, a, a book. You know, there's there's a greeting. Um, you know, John identifies himself as the one that is is writing, and and then he indicates his his uh, immediate audience, which is the seven churches in Asia Minor. Typical of of the epistles as as they've been written. And then, and then after that, you you kind of see after the greeting is a little bit of a doxology, so to speak, where it uh, um, it it's it's glorifying God and glorifying Jesus Christ Himself. You know, I mean, we've come to know uh, the doxology, um, at least for me, growing up in the uh, in the heritage of the church. The doxology was always something as the uh, as the deacons collected the offering and they brought the offering back up to the front table, it was praise God from whom all blessings flow, you know, and uh, that was the doxology. And so doxology is praise. Um, it's giving God, God glory. And so that's kind of what we see there in, in the first uh, several verses, um, uh, at least verses one through eight. So I don't, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of need to kind of, uh, jump into uh, what that is saying because um, what we want to get into is the setting that uh, um, is this revelation is is coming to John in and uh, uh, as as John kind of stops in his introduction to sum up Christ's work um, in three phrases he kind of describes his own uh, situation in three aspects now there it's not like a not like a triangle, but think about a coin that's kind of being flipped with two different sides. You know, um, he talks about the work of Christ, and then he talks about his own situation. And he says, "I heard a loud voice, like the sound of the trumpet, telling me, write all this these things down that I'm about to see, and send it to the seven churches." And again, this is this is these seven churches. They need hope. Um, they need uh, something to hold on to. Um, and so this that tells us why the book of Revelation was written. It's there to provide hope, to encourage faith and perseverance and endurance. It's not written to scare people. 
You know, it's not written to make people confused. It's not written to create trepidation. So then why is it that usually fear, confusion, and trepidation naturally follow th- this this yeah. book? I mean, is it is it um, is it just our natural way of of looking to the future and our our fear of the unknown, our fear of the future? Sure. Yeah, in in the imagery. You know, when we get into some of the imagery that exists in Revelation, it's going to be a scary kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you start talking about beasts and the mark of the beasts and those kind of things, oh, I don't, I don't want to have that, you know. And uh, this dragon that comes out of the pit and, yeah. you know, and and uh, the, the, the armies that are like locusts and, and these types of things, it's um, it's... There's some imagery there that creates, and and I think you know those that um, kind of like to uh, uh, produce uh, fantastical type of uh, effects on people. They really emphasize that part, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I think I think that that's why we have to look at the beginning. We can't just be like, oh, let's skip over this. Doesn't really pertain to eschatology, so let's skip over this stuff. But really, here in the first chapter. Um, it's given us the essence of why the book was written and the purpose of it. That's to give hope, to give courage to endure and persevere through the trials that is going to come, you know? So I'm giving you a picture, right? It's, it's like, um, sometimes when, you know, uh, like, like, like we've been in a pretty hard winter, right? Yeah. And, uh, you've been in a pretty, I mean, we've had snow on the ground longer than we've had for years, years, right? We've had more snow, at least in one single snowfall, um, and and ice and stuff. We've had it's been a rough rough winter. It's been cold for the most part for a mm-hmm. long time. So there might be some people that you know um, are planning a vacation to get out of this, you know. And so uh, just to give themselves a little hope and the courage to endure and the perseverance, they might they might hang a picture up of their vacation spot, right? Like and and in an area they put it on the refrigerator. And it's like, so when I go to get my milk for my breakfast cereal or I go to get my creamer for my coffee, I see that picture and it's like, we're, we're, we're almost there. You know, we're going to go there. And I think that's what the book of Revelation is really about. You know, it's about giving people uh, an image to hope in yeah. of, of, you see, all what you're enduring and, and the things that you're going through, it's, it, it has a finite period. And then there's eternity, you know, and and that's where we're going, and uh, so so. But the fear and trepidation, the the confusion, and and all of that, that really comes from, you know, uh, the sensationalist viewpoint of Revelation that wants to emphasize certain parts of it mm-hmm. for the purpose of uh, of either scaring people into conversion or you know creating a, a sensational reaction so that people will buy their book or listen to their sermons or whatever the situation might be. Uh, so, so John is on the island of Patmos, and that's, that's kind of what I want the theme uh, to kind of be for today's podcast is that we find, him, um, uh, we find him on this island of Patmos. He's in exile. Um, the, the trials that John is going through is, has actually left him in a situation of exile. And as verse 10 tells us, uh, on the Lord's day, he says, I was in the spirit. Uh, so I think that's, that's something that I want to talk about, uh, to begin, uh, today is that I don't know what your Patmos looks like. 
You know, I, I don't know. Uh, Patmos comes in a lot of a lot of different forms. You know, just this week, um, you know, I, I've gone every night um, and sat with somebody that uh, is keeps talking uh, about possibly ending their life. And uh, I've made kind of a, a contractual handshake agreement with them every time that I leave and I go home that I say, you're going to be here tomorrow and I'm going to come and, and we'll sit and talk. And so far that's worked. Um, but that's a Patmos. I mean, there's some people out there that are feeling like, man, I'm, I'm all alone. I'm isolated. My situation can't be overcome. And, um, so maybe it's better if I just end it. You know, some people are going through relational Patmos. Um, you know, um, the marriage has, has not been, um, what it, what it's been in the past, or maybe it's never been what they had hoped it is. And so they find themselves in relational Patmos. Um, you feel exiled, you feel isolated, you feel alone. You know, um, some people are dealing with financial Patmos. Um, uh, you know, uh, things have tanked, um, there's the struggle, and so there's all kinds. Of, I could go on and on about those things, but there's all kinds of ways in which we find ourselves on on uh, on Patmos, exiled, feelings of abandonment, um, feelings of injustice, uh, feelings of being wronged. I mean, uh, we've all we've all been there. But here's where we find John. He says uh, on on the Lord's day, which of course is Sunday. Um, I was in the spirit in the middle of John's Patmos. He's worshiping. Um, in the middle of his Patmos, in the middle of his exile, in the middle of his injustice, um, we find him um, still worshiping. You know, um, the natural reaction, and it's okay. You know, even for believers, even for Christians, I think we have to allow ourselves to process through uh, the natural reactions of our emotions whenever we face trials and trauma. You know, I think Christians want to suppress those things. Yeah, they do. You know? Yeah. You know, like... Well, I can't be angry at God, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I can't I can't be upset with God. I can't I can't, you know, um, I have to be OK, even yeah. though I don't feel OK in right, any way, right. shape or form. I obviously I have to be OK because right. scripture, quote unquote, tells me that or people have told me that I people need to have okay. told us that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the scriptures scripture is very honest, you know. Um, I mean, I, I, I could quote a couple of different things from Jeremiah, you know, when he's upset and he feels the injustice, he's on his own at Patmos as a prophet of God, giving the word of God to people who won't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeremiah is like, curse the day I was born. Curse the man who brought news to my father that he had a son. Oh, if I had just died in my mother's womb. You know, so that's a minor prophet's way of saying I'm having a really crappy day, you know, and I'm not and I'm not OK with it. You know, and and I love the honesty of that. You know, David would would say, why do my enemies triumph over me? You know, why do they scoff? Why do they insult me? You know, you know, and and that's just David's way of going. You know, this is I feel like I'm on Patmos. You know, I feel like I'm I'm all alone here. You know, and David had some bad days. I mean, his son took his wives and had sex with them on top of his palace. That's a pretty bad day. Yeah, it's a bad day. You know, one. and uh, and David expresses that, you know, in in a variety of different ways. I mean, but it's interesting, and you're right. Scripture is full of examples yeah. like that. But we, but at least, at least me and the people that I know will always go to, do not worry, 
Mm-hmm. You know, do sure. not do not allow that to to overcome you. Mm-hmm. You know, basically pull your pull your bootstraps up. Yeah, you know, get up and, sure. and move on yeah. because you have no reason mm-hmm. in Jesus to feel that way. Right, right. You know right. that that's the mentality that comes along with that. Yeah, sure. you're right. Scripture's full of yeah bad days. Yeah, and and people being not okay with it. Yeah, I mean, we getting to Romans when you know all things were for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. That's where we get to, but it doesn't mean we have to deny the natural feelings that we go through when things happen to mm-hmm. us. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, your 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 first reaction to a car wreck is not, oh, I'm, I'm glad I'm okay. You know, I mean, you feel your body feels your your heart's pumping. You know, your 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 hands are tingling. The adrenaline is is rushing through your body. You know, and and you freak out a little bit until you're like, okay, I we're, we're okay. You know, the cars the cars totaled, and and you could get another car. You know, the cliche is always, oh, we could get another car, but we can't get another you. You arrive at that point, but all of the natural responses are are there. I mean, everything happens. You know, for you, and I think emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, when the trauma happens, we can't suppress what happens to us naturally. Now, obviously, you know, Paul says, "Do not be anxious by anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, offer your thanksgiving unto God." We get there, mm-hmm. and and you know, and um, but but when we find ourselves on Patmos, we have to allow ourselves um, those natural reactions. You know, of of course, not allowing those things to be out of control, you mm-hmm. know, because Paul says we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, right? I mean, we need to, we, or we need to allow faith to win over, but, but my goodness, we can, we can have those natural reactions of, of anger of sadness of grief of, uh, you know, because those are our natural responses to, to circumstance, um, when, and even Jesus, you know, knowing he had the power to resurrect, you know, still was upset. You know, he, oh yeah, I'm sure he was like, oh yeah, we're gonna go resurrect this guy, and he still wept. You know, he still, uh, yeah, showed that grief or sadness or yeah. you know whatever. So absolutely, and then even in his humanity, you know, this is why you know if the scriptures weren't true, it would have left this stuff out. You know, Jesus, in his humanity, in the garden, prays, Father, if there be any way, take this cup from me. Mm. I don't want the cup of your wrath. That's what, that's what, it's interesting how, you know, uh, the cup becomes a theme of, of that, uh, that, that night, you know, where you have uh, Jesus, you know, he, he, uh, he, at the Last Supper, you know, he says, uh, here's the cup of Thanksgiving. You know, that was one. Of, there was four cups of of the Jewish Passover, you know, and he offers that around. But then he takes the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. And this cup is tied to what he talks about in the garden. And I know we're getting off Patmos here, but um, <laughs> but but so so Jesus takes the third cup, which is I will redeem you, essentially, you know, and, and redemption comes with a price, right? And so here's what Jesus says. This is a cup of new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I believe wholeheartedly that's the third cup of the Seder, which is the cup of redemption, right? And, and, but in order for that cup to be emptied, in order for that cup 
to be poured out on many for the redemption of their sins, for the forgiveness of their sins, that cup had to be filled with God's wrath. And, and that's the cup that Jesus is praying that God would take from him in the garden. If you read through the Old Testament, there are probably six, eight, ten uh, references to the cup of God's wrath being poured out on sin, right? And so Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's a cool thing. This is a little bit of tidbit. We'll go down this rabbit trail. Um, do you know, Scotty, you know what Gethsemane means? I do not. Okay, Brandon? Do you know what Gethsemane means? For a second, I thought I did, but it's not. Okay. Essentially, Gethsemane means olive press. All right? So it means it's it's olive press. So if you think about this, Jesus is in Gethsemane, the olive press, and he feels the weight of what is about to occur, right? Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, so so in, in, in the olives, he's on the Mount of Olives, He's at Gethsemane, the olive press. He's around the olive press. And, and here's what they would do. They would do two things with the olives. They would, they would first dump them in like this uh, cylindrical um, vat. And, and um, this, this it, it would be like a cylindrical trough, I guess I, was, I could say. And then there would be a, a huge stone uh, attached to like an axle that would be attached to uh, uh, what what would that be? Would it be a fulcrum? fulcrum? Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and then they would either they would either put it to an ox or to a donkey or or and and it would walk around and those that that large stone um, like a wheel would go around and it would crush the olives in that trough and uh, and then of course the oil would come out they would gather that then they would gather up the olives again and they would put him in put them in like these uh nets and they would put it in this almost like obelisk type thing and uh they would put another large like uh rectangular uh stone upon it and um and they would set that and then it would slowly continue to press more oil uh out of that for for collection so you think about that Jesus is in Gethsemane, and he feels the weight of our sin upon him. And what happens? He begins to sweat, you know, and and the strain of that. Now, some scholars don't believe believe it's just imagery that he sweated like drops of blood, but I think literally the strain and the and the and the feelings of of uh, uh, just attention and and. Um, anxiety in a way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that Jesus was going, was feeling towards not the cross, not the beatings, not the mm-hmm. death, not that, but this idea of the cup of God's wrath, you know, Jesus is, he's feeling that and, and the capillaries of his, mm-hmm. you know, uh, begin to burst. Um, yeah. I, I've read articles on uh, a scientific explanation mm-hmm. of how it truly did happen. Oh, it's like legit. You can yeah. Sweat blood. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and so and so, but in that when he prays, you know, take that cup from me. You know, he's he's in the olive press, he's in Gethsemane, he's feeling the weight of what's about to happen. You know, we can't fathom Trinity. You know, this idea of three and the oneness. I mean, mm-hmm. the nearest we we come is is in a really good marriage, I think, you know, maybe, or, or, or in the best of friendships where you just kind of have a, an intimacy that's deeper than anything that you experience, um, uh, on any other level. And, um, 
uh, even that pales in comparison. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't get it. We can't, we can't appreciate perfect unity, no, and perfect oneness. And now that's Jesus is going to be separate from that. You know, he's going to be separate from from that, and um, uh, that's what he he because God's wrath is going to be pressed upon him. You know. and, and Jesus, we 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 read the Bible and we speculate about what God's wrath is like. Mm-hmm. Jesus knew it fully. Oh yeah, you know. And what's even crazier is he knew full well that within a short period of time after that, he would be risen back to grace. Yeah, yeah. Risen back to glory. Yeah, where he originally was. So yeah. even with that knowledge sure. of knowing within what three days he's going to be resurrected yeah, yeah. and ascend back to the Father, while well, he yeah. didn't send back. For a while after that, but he knew that it was guaranteed he's going to come out of this. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But he still yeah. was sweating blood over oh, the short period of time the of God's wrath. Aspects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's insane. Yeah. And if we can't look at that and say, if he was a knowing he was going to be resurrected, if we can't look at that and say, maybe there's something to God's wrath that we don't want to experience. Right. You know, it's shame on us. Yeah. For, yeah. for, for, for not appreciating that. Of yeah, know, God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and and here's what's kind of happened. We've in this uh, church culture that's created like a, a an image of a benign grandfather in the sky for God. Mm. We we see God's hands as as just welcoming and kind and soft and rubbing your face and giving you a noogie, you know, and crawl, all of that. Crawl up on my lap yeah, and just yeah. rest. You but, know? which is, which is, God is love. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and, and for those that are in Christ that are covered in his blood, those hands will be gentle and tender. But there's the other side that where the Bible says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of God, you know, um, meaning that there's this, the wrath of God, that that we can't even comprehend that Jesus fully knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're right, Scotty. The temporal aspects of that, um, and knowing that that it was temporary, still weren't. Um, uh, Jesus still experienced such tension, you know, that it broke the capillaries in his skin. You know, and and so yeah, I mean, <laughs> Jesus himself was 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 honest, right about. What he was going through, and um, he wished there was another way. If there be any other way, yeah. take this cup from me. But what's interesting, the last part of the cup is, but when he prays, not my will. And then when the uh, Judas comes and he kisses him, you know, and and uh, they said, "Are are you Jesus of Nazareth?" So Jesus says, "I am." And then and the soldiers fall that's to the awesome. ground. That's great. Yeah, I think I think that's Jesus. He's taking that cup. I mean, he's resolved, you know, to take the cup, and and decision and was done at that point. It's, made. I, I mean, it's it's he's just he's just centrally focused on on what's ahead, you know. Um, and and but I love the theme of the cup there. But yeah, and I'm gonna ask a question. It's off topic, mm-hmm. but do you think Satan was hopeful up to that point? Do you think he was hopeful that even sure. th- maybe maybe he'll back out of this? Yeah, maybe he'll realize that they're not worth. Yeah. Saving, yeah. But that point in time when he mm-hmm. said, "I am," and the yeah. power finally sure. come out of him, yeah. You know, if from a human standpoint, I mean, I I just can't imagine the feeling of just oh yeah. crap that that Satan had. Like, dang it, yeah, it's yeah. over, yeah, it's over, yeah. Satan, Satan, of course, does not have foreknowledge, you know. No. And so, yeah. yeah, in that moment, 
you know, wherever, wherever he was, wherever the demons were, whatever, you know, you know, at that moment, you know, he sees Jesus in his agony and yeah, there may have been him going, ah, he's not going to go through with it. You know, the, 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 uh, the pain of it, yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe yeah. this isn't a good thing to feel, but I, I always like to feel or think of him like just being completely defeated mentally at that point. Oh, yeah, just just emo- just just drained of all hope yeah. at that point. And and you know maybe yeah maybe we shouldn't celebrate that, but maybe we should. I don't know. Yeah, I, think, I, I like I like that. I think, I think be a good that movie. Satan. Mm-hmm. I think that Satan is fully aware of his demise. He's just trying to take as many captives with yeah. him. Well, that's what uh, to the point you made earlier about um, Jesus obviously understanding something about God's wrath or the separation from God that we don't, um, it, it makes me wonder either uh, Jesus knows God way more intimately and you know has way more knowledge of God than, than Satan did, or, yeah, like, like you said, Satan knew his demise, but with just something in him kept him going, you know, because uh, Jesus was very afraid that night or you know whatever emotion you want to call it that night in the garden or and you know um but yeah satan was still mm-hmm. you know he saw either he didn't know mm-hmm. or uh he was ignorant or something because he uh he was still still trying yeah. you know this so. was his last full frontal assault on god and um you know now now as we've talked about he he kind of he he's much more subtle in his schemes, yeah. and uh, because I think he 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 knows um, the best way to captivate is is to provide something that's that is better than than truth. You know, I mean any any it, seductor, yeah. You know, um, he he uh, they 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 use the. Um, both the strengths and the weaknesses to their favor, you know. So, so you know, a, a, any seductor is going to say, you know, uh, they know their strengths, and so they'll really build those up that they recognize those things, and then they know their weaknesses, and they try to manipulate those things, and that's what Satan does, you know. Um, you know, for instance, like in the screw tape letters, you know. Um, Sometimes, um, is this our first C.S. Lewis? Is this the first C.S. Lewis of the it, podcast? It could be, yeah. Okay, wow. Well, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Mark Scott. this time down right now. Yeah, and this is the first one. C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters. Um, you know, you see sometimes that uh, Wormwood is encouraged to use the man's weaknesses against him. You know, um, he's he's distracted. So when when the enemy. You know the word the, the 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 word is being make him make him focused on somebody's hat or making focused on somebody's you know really large head or whatever. I can't remember exactly what C.S. Lewis says, but it distract him you know with those things. But sometimes he says you know tempt him on his strength. You know make him make him proud of his humility. Make him say, and I know this one because it's my one of my favorite quotes from Screw Tape Letters. By Jove, I really am a humble man, you know. And that's what the seductor does, right? And um, and so, um, yeah. So so Satan, Satan. Um, that's how he schemes against the church. Now this was, but in the garden, um, and 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 at Calvary, that was that was his fir- last uh, frontal assault. 
on on the kingdom. And then he went, I got to try more subtle means. Um, but I think, I think, I believe Satan knows he's conquered now. You know, uh, the resurrection clearly indicated that that he has conquered. And uh, but, you know, he's going to take he's going to take people down with him. You know, he's going to take the captives with him because that also breaks God's heart, mm. you know. And um, so. So, yeah, I don't know how we segue that well, uh, back to Patmos. Let's um, do it. But um, I think, I think all... we should just stop naming episodes because uh, yeah. we just uh, kind of just take it. We, we take it wherever we go. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's some things that uh, as we jump into chapter one, and again, I'm going to assume that you're going to read it. And uh, so um, I'm not going to go verse by verse and read everything, but I do want to kind of start off. Um, here, because there's some imagery that warrants us um, kind of kind of uh, uh, giving some explanation to here. So if you look at verse 9, um, notice John says, and this is another indication of why he's writing the book. I, John, your brother. So that clearly indicates that John's writing to Christians. All right. Brother, partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, remember we talked about, that's why he's writing it, was on the island of Patmos on the count of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So that says there's a persecution going on. That's why he's in. Um, and uh, so he, I, I just wanted to reiterate that. Um, and then he tells that he's going to write to those seven churches. We've talked about that. Now verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Here comes the imagery now. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many Waters In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. So right there, boom, 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 boom. John is giving uh, some imagery uh, right away. And, and this is seven ways. There's seven ways in which God reveals himself as being sufficient for our Patmos, for the sufficient for our bad days, for our exile, for our feelings of abandonment, for those issues of injustice that we go through. Um, uh, these images John used do not paint a literal, physical picture of Jesus, but rather they paint a portrait of the character of God. So what we see here is um, you see a, a, a robe reaching down to his feet, all right? Verse 13 tells us, you see a robe reaching down to his feet. That's priestly dignity, right? The golden sash around his chest, That's that also pertains to the priest. It could maybe in Daniel, we see a sash wrapped around an angel. It could uh, indicate something like this. You see head and hair like like wool. Um, this, is, this is wisdom. Gray hair is a sign of wisdom, a description of God, eyes like blazing fire, um, characteristics of, of someone that's been in the, the presence of God, um, feet like bronze glowing in a furnace, um, like the cherubim in Ezekiel or the angel that's in Daniel. Again, these things are described 
um, in, in the Bible, a voice like the sound of wa- rushing waters, um, like, like the glory of God, like Ezekiel talks about. Uh, seven stars in his right hand. Um, Daniel 12, 3 says this, those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever uh, and ever. Um, the sharp double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Um, in Isaiah 49, it talks about the prophecy of the messianic servant of the Lord, and it uses that term of a double-edged sword. Uh, face shining like sun in its brilliance, um, a brilliant light that's surrounding the glory of God. I mean, any time that God's glory is talked about, um, it's talked about in the sense of brilliant light. All right, so let's kind of let's kind of talk about how these things um, uh, apply to our Patmos. All right, so. The Bible looks at gray hair, not as we see gray hair. You know, we try to cover it up. Oh, yeah. Right? Yep. Um, you know, uh, even my wife sometimes, you know, she'll she'll oftentimes make a subtle suggestion because obviously I'm almost completely gray on the sides. And uh, I, I've, I've got a little dark still on top, you know, but um, I, I'm... You mean I, she asks you to dye your hair? She sometimes thinks about, says, you ever think about, like, coloring your sides? Wow. And I'm like, No. No, I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I'm I'm not going to do that. So, so, oftentimes people think of gray hair as a negative, right? But the Bible looks at gray hair very differently. Um, gray hair is a sign of wisdom, you know. The Bible. So, so the fact that I turn gray early just means I'm I'm wiser, right, <laughs> than the average Joe. It must in, be in, in theory. In theory. In theory. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this this tells us that the fact that he has gray hair is that he has all wisdom, you know, associated with age. You know, I'm certainly much wiser a man, you know, now in my late forties than uh, uh, I am uh, than I was at early twenties. It's just it's just the truth. There are things that that I know uh, from from experience. Um, you know, in verse six, God is described as the Alpha and Omega. Um, obviously, most people know that these are the first and the last letters of uh, the Greek alphabet, uh, and and I, I just think this tells us that God has everything covered, you know. Um, so his his gray hair as the Alpha and Omega, uh, his his wisdom has it all covered. There is no circumstance in our lives that God's going to go. Ooh, I didn't see that coming, mm-hmm. you know. And there's no circumstance that God's going to say, mm, I don't have an answer for that. You know, I, I, I don't have a plan for that. I don't have a purpose for that. Um, you know, I, I, one of the most commonly asked questions is, what is God's will for my life? Right. What does God want? What is God teaching me through this, especially when we're on Patmos? Well, what, what lesson am I supposed to learn? What, what am I supposed to What is God teaching me through this? And, and, you know, the real spiritual answer I give is, I don't know, you know. All I know is that, that God is wise. He's perfectly wise. He has eternal wisdom. Um, and, and that he absolutely has whatever situation. He has, he has it covered, you know. Um, but here's, a, here's an interesting thing as a sidebar. It's amazing how we want to blame God for our choices. Oh, yeah. That's easy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, why is God doing this to me? And I could sit there and go, 
Well, let's let's kind of back up. You made this choice. You made this choice. You made this choice. These are the consequences of your choices, you know? God God will allow you to face the consequences of of your choices. Um and uh, so oftentimes we're like, why is God letting this happen? God's letting it happen because you didn't seek him first, you know? Um, do you watch Better Call Saul? You ever watch Better Call Saul? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you ever watch Better Call Saul? I watched Breaking Bad, but I, I didn't right. get Better, Better Call, Call Saul. Saul uh, I, to me, I, I, I really like Better Call Saul better than Breaking Bad. And... Um, but but there's a seed in the final season. So Kim Wexler is, of course, Jimmy McGill's love interest, and she's a lawyer. And uh, at, at this point in time, she's at Swikert and Coakley, and she's she's helping Mesa Verde, you know, navigate through their um, uh, problems and stuff. And this is one of the la- latter episodes of of season five. And uh, Kevin Watley. Is that the CEO? I think Kevin Watley is the uh, CEO of Mesa Verde Bank, you know. And um, so long story short, I don't want to spend a lot of time with this, but there's a circumstance in which um, Jimmy and Kim, they're trying to work together to help out this old man that Mesa Verde wants to kick out of the house so they can build a call center. And um, Kevin Watley, the CEO of of, uh, uh, Mesa Verde Bank, uh, he doesn't want to lose to Jimmy, you know. Jimmy's Jimmy's representing this uh, this old guy that doesn't want to get kicked out of his house. Kim's representing Mayor Mesa Verde, and Jimmy pulls the fast one even on Kim, right? And uh, so Kevin Watley, uh, he's it, it ends up being there. There has to be concessions made. Um, there's a payout, you know. And Kevin Watley, the CEO of Mesa Verde, he's mad, you know, and he's like maybe. Maybe I don't want to stick with Schweikert and Coakley. Maybe I don't want to stick with Kim Wexler, you know. And and they have this meeting, and Kim walks out um, uh, along with Rich Schweikert, and and uh, then she stops, and she goes back in, you know. And she and she where Kevin Watley is wanting to blame Schweikert and Coakley and his counsel for everything. Kim comes in, and she's like, "Listen, we advised you at this point. You didn't listen. We advised you on this." You didn't listen. We advise you on this. You didn't listen. You advise you on this, and you didn't listen. So if you get other counsel, she said, I suggest you listen to them. We advised you on what to do all along the way, and you didn't listen. You know, and then it hits him. He's like, Oh yeah, you know. So he's like, Okay, I'll see you on Thursday. You know, and uh, uh, and I think sometimes it's like it's like God gives us His counsel, right? And and we just choose not to listen. And then when we find ourselves on Patmos, uh, you know, we're like, God, why, why are you letting this happen? God's like, I counseled you at every turn, and you didn't listen. You know, I'm not maybe, maybe f- that's the uh, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to be that, you know, person telling oh, yeah. us. Remember, like, you know, God counseled you on all these times and you didn't listen so yeah. if you're gonna try to go somewhere else that you know whatever it might be instead of god you know uh he he tried to show you the whole way yeah yeah and 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 here's the thing that um uh, uh y- you know the bible says if any of us lacks wisdom he should ask god who gives generously without finding fault mm-hmm. and um but when we ask and God gives the wisdom. If we don't like the wisdom, 
That's not God's fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, God has perfect wisdom. And so if we if we don't listen, you know, why is God to blame when we find ourselves on Patmos, you know? So so that gray hair is the wisdom of God. Um, Jesus is is all wise, right? And so here John gives us another picture of of his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. I know it's hard for us to kind of what does that have to do with anything? All right. Um, but if you think what is bronze? Bronze is a combo. Metal. Iron and copper. Yeah. Bronze is iron and copper. Uh, iron is very, very strong. Mm-hmm. But what happens to iron over time? It rusts, mm-hmm. right? Corrodes. Yeah, corrodes. Uh, copper doesn't rust, but it's not very strong. It's very malleable metal, right? Uh, but so you combine the two, you get the strength of iron and the endurance of copper. Um, so the idea of this image is that God stands on a strong foundation, you know, an unshakable foundation. You know, we used to sing an old hymn that said, on Christ a solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You know, so think about uh, that, that, uh, that, that image of God stands on strong, yet God's strength is also enduring. You know, God is enduringly strong. Um, uh, so, so that imagery tells us that, um, uh, you know, that, that God cannot be shaken. Uh, God, God is a sure, uh, foundation that God will not, um, uh, be, uh, overtaken. He won't, um, uh, you know, he, he can't, he, he can't be, um, uh, outlasted. Uh, he is enduringly strong, and um, uh, so it won't. That uh, there, there's no way for us to wonder if God's strength or His goodness or uh, His wisdom will hold out. It's God. God is enduringly strong. All right, another picture that we're we're given is this this picture of the flaming eyes. Right, His eyes were like blazing fire. Um, and, and this is an image that God offers as reliable correction. Now, let me explain this for a second. Oftentimes, think about this. Uh, I, I could use an illustration from my own life. So the, uh, the auditorium uh, at my home church was, uh, it could seat about like 700 people. All right, it was pretty big. And um, where the high school kids sat uh, was on the complete opposite side from where my parents sat, all right? Smart. Smart. Yep. Yeah. So there was a lot of heads that my mom had to look through to see what I was doing. But I can remember, you know, more than one Sunday when I was screwing around, you know, and not paying attention or whatever I was doing, um, you know, I, people would be like, hey, hey, hey. And I was like, what? You know, and I'd look over and like all of the people's heads <laughs> would be like looking over at me and I could see my mom's eyes like black holes, you know, <laughs> glaring all the way across this auditorium. Through 400 people. Through 400 people. Yeah. Over at me, you know, and everybody kind of had this look like, oh, man, that, he is going to get it, you know, uh, when when he gets home. The way you um, described that sounded like a revelation uh, scripture itself. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Her black holes. Yeah, the black yeah. holes glaring 
at me. Yeah. There's no way your mom is that. that oh, way. she's such a sweet lady. Yeah. There's my I don't, mom, I don't know mom, if I believe my that. mom has a side of. Let me tell you, my mom was a samurai with a dish rag. Uh, you know, yeah she she could she could hit you with a dish rag and and welt you uh, right now. Because, you know, it wasn't like we had new dish rags. You know, it, we had the dish rags that the had... The frayed on the corners. The frayed on the corners, man. And that thing would whip you, you know. It, I, I'm surprised she didn't You're draw... you your neck. She'd get you in the neck? Draw blood. Oh, she didn't care where it was, you know. <laughs> if Yeah, so she was a samurai. She was a samurai with a dish rag. Um, but God's eyes, these, these flaming eyes, what does fire do, right? It purifies, right? It, it, it purifies. It refines us um so god's eyes of fire have a way of purifying of correcting us of uh fire has a way of purifying everything from food to 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 metal um in revelation 318 jesus encourages one of the churches of asia minor to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you could become rich and the idea here is this refiner's fire um, that's mentioned in the Old Testament and mentioned in the New Testament, that God has a way of correcting us and, and disciplining us uh, through the fire of correction so that we are better refined. The dross and the flaws of our life are removed um, from, uh, from our lives. So, you know, in our islands of Patmos, in those situations of Patmos, you know, we have to be willing to put ourselves under the correcting, refining gaze of God. Um, you know, again, we like to turn our eyes to God and be like, God, why am I here? Why am I in this injustice? Why am I in this abandonment? Why am I in this exile and, and situation? And we just need to look at the eyes of Jesus and allow those eyes to refine our minds and hearts on our circumstances. These eyes, though, it's interesting about the eyes of Christ. If When you read John chapter 8, you know, it's, it's there's a couple of times in, in the Gospels when it talks about Jesus's eyes. John chapter eight is a woman caught in adultery, right? And she's dragged out and and uh, they're trying to capture Jesus. If Jesus says if he goes by the Old Testament law, you know, stone her, then then he's not he, 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 he the grace that he talks about, you know, and the forgiveness and mercy and the love that he talks about, he that would illegitimize that. Right. Um, but if he doesn't. If he doesn't stone her, then he's not acting justly and punishing the crime, right? So, the of course, these thought they had him. They had him, yeah, several times. It's interesting, though, um, and this is kind of, I'll, I'll get back to John chapter 8. You, you prompted me to think about something. It's interesting, with, though, they try, they try, they try to trap him, you know, and it's interesting. The Sadducees, they try when Jesus is on the Temple Mount to talk about the resurrection and wives. And so, you know, the the, the Old Testament law said that um, the oldest brother, if he died, his wife, if she, they had no kids or anything, there was an obligation of the next in line brother to take her as his wife. And then mm. so on and so forth, all down the line of brothers, you know. And so they create this scenario, the Sadducees, when the resurrection, whose wife will she be? You know, Jesus answers them. And it's it's funny right there. They say, they decide not to ask him any more questions. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they learn a lesson. They they can't try. You know, they've tried to trap him. They've tried doing different things, and it's like they resolved at that time not to. N we're we're done with trying to trap him. We're done. They, we can't trap him. So, anyways, this is a trap in John chapter eight. You know, and um, 
after everybody is gone, Jesus, of course, writes in the sand, starting with the older folks. They drop their stones. Everybody drops their stones. They leave. I picture it now just Jesus, maybe a couple of his disciples and this woman. And uh, he, he asks her the question, woman, where are your accusers? And I think it's the first time the woman takes herself out of the fetal position from trying to self-protect. And she hears the voice, and I think she looks up into the eyes of Jesus. And her response says everything about his eyes. It's, my Lord, I have none. And then he affirms that. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Now, uh, a, another time is Peter, um, when uh, he he's the only one that follows Jesus at a distance. They go to the house of Caiaphas. Um, Jesus is being put under trial. And you remember Jesus at the Last Supper had, had prophesied about Peter would, before the rooster would crow, Peter would deny him three times, right? And only Luke tells us this about his Jesus' eyes. And uh, so the third denial of Jesus, Luke puts at uh, simultaneously the rooster crows, and he says that Jesus looked right at him. Mm. And now those eyes are much different because here's what where the eyes for the woman caught in adultery aren't ag- accusatory. Whatever is in Jesus' eyes there, it says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. But it's... It- in both circumstances, it's still fire that's refining. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Uh, that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe different temperatures. Right. But, but the eyes still are, in that way, refining. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's well, go, go on. So we're, we're actually, um, uh, we, I mean, who knows, after editing and everything, what time we'll be at. But um, if you, uh, you're at a decent place to wrap mm-hmm. up we can maybe okay. start doing that um and, and in that uh i i don't know i guess i have a question or sort of a prompt um so in these uh scriptures and um you know the the certain words and phrases that you pointed out um y- y- i guess my question is you're sort of implying that um these are I don't know what word you'd want to call it, like metaphors mm-hmm. or, you know. Uh, so m- my question is, I don't know if you know um, much about uh, what kind of language the Revelation is written in, but, you know, in, in English we have um, like mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like a or as a uh-huh. uh, the, for, like, metaphorical language. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, is there—what can you speak— about as far as the language in, you know, I don't know, all of Revelation or in these uh, scriptures that kind of point us to mm-hmm. uh, that that idea of, you know, um, and because, like I said, they, they can't use his, the, 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 his um, uh, you know, his voice was like a sword. Um, mm-hmm. His eyes were like mm-hmm. fire, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's not so much a language thing, Brennan. I mean, I, the, John is writing in Greek, and um, it's not so much a language thing as it is a culture thing. Mm. You know, from the Western mindset, a, a, a mindset that is very conditioned in engineering and technology, we take language very literally. Yeah. Even though we use things, you know, uh, we, we kind of, we understand, like, I cannot imagine trying to learn English and and understand the concept of like love hmm. you know how much we use love you know like I would say I love Audrey hmm. you know I love my kids 
you know, I love pizza. Mm-hmm. I love Purdue. You know, did they win last night, by the way? Yeah, they did. They okay. pulled it out. Yeah. Uh, uh, I love this road. I yeah. love to ride my motorcycle. Now, I'm using love in, in all of those, right? But the word itself obviously has varying degrees of, of love. You know, sometimes it's when I say I love Audrey, that's with, you know, uh, as much as I can, agape. You know, mm-hmm. like I. And my my kids agape my brothers and sisters in Christ agape I don't love my motorcycle mm. well through agape you know the Greeks were they had different descriptions for their for their love or so, even uh, I I love running a marathon right uh, where there's uh, obvious pain and all right you know yeah not what you'd think of when you talk about your wife or pizza or anything oh you there's know. there's pain with my wife <laughs> <laughs> fair enough yeah uh but so yeah what let me get back um so culturally from the eastern mindset where the eastern mindset the teaching um methodologies and things are very much you know metaphorical painting pictures of imagery and and things the eastern mind wants to wants to paint you know, the Western mind wants to describe, you know, and so in the description of the Eastern mind imagery, you know, creates this, 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 this portrait of a picture. We like to be literal in our descriptions, mm. you know, um, you know, your, your shirt is, it's black, mm-hmm. you know, um, where, you know, the Eastern mindset, your, your, uh, your shirt is like the, the the ebony of of Madagascar mm. on you know at the darkest of night right. you know um, black so it's black you know <laughs> we would just say the Western mind goes it's black you know um, but so so it's more culturally that this imagery is 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 uh, being used but it's also necessary because he's trying to put in in conceptual ways for us to understand what he is seeing, mm-hmm. you know? The gravity of it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, I think it'd be very difficult to try to put in the words and describe what he's seeing because nobody else has seen it. Right. You know, he's trying to explain something that mm-hmm. that n- he knows mm-hmm. nobody else has ever seen. Right. So he's trying to put it in a way that we could somehow get... Right. A, 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 somehow appreciate just a mm-hmm. little bit of what is actually in front of him. Yeah. So, so the biblical writers... Um, you think they would be tracking with the language he's using? Like, oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Whereas yeah. we're we're going like, whoa, what the the flames in the eyes? That, right. They're more like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I yeah. see the, I see where you're going. Yeah, culturally, culturally, they would they would understand, you know, mm-hmm. that because they've also been raised. Not only have they been raised in that Eastern mindset, they've been taught um, in it, and um, they they understand that, especially you know. Um, because all the way through um, the uh, uh, the Old Testament, you know, I mean, things were described in metaphorical ways, like um, uh, all through the like the prophet Ezekiel. I mean, my goodness, there are so many ways in which you know there's a there's a pot that's been cooked and stuff is burnt on the bottom, and Ezekiel's got to clean off. You know, from the Western mindset, we would go, I don't get what you're uh, <laughs> trying to get at there. You yeah. know, I mean, 
But from all oh, the Eastern mindset, they would understand that, mm -hmm. you know, the imagery of that. And, and it's it's sort of, uh, I mean, I guess my, my last thought on this, uh, what comes to mind for me is we love to uh, write Facebook posts, like caption a picture of the sunset and say, man, God is this artist. You know, we, mm -hmm. we love to kind of use that and uh, to romanticize mm -hmm. these things. But then, yeah, when it comes to reading the Bible, uh, yeah, our, our Western culture is has such a hard time mm -hmm. going to, you know, the, the artistry of God and yeah. of these biblical writers and of this culture that we're trying to learn about. Uh, it's kind of interesting that we do have such a hard time going there, but then whenever it, it's convenient for us or we, we want to sound like uh, that's the God we worship or the God we understand, then we're, mm -hmm. yeah, we can go there with, oh, nature, you know, God's, yeah. you know, yeah. so that's kind of yeah. an interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I think our culture, especially when we've gotten so technical, you know, we've lost the value of, you know, like, like who are the poets? Mm. You know, I, I, I'm not uh, uh, much of, an, of, of a follower of modern poetry. Maybe there is some great poetry being out there in the modern age, you know, but, but you think about poetry and, and its importance in creating emotion and feeling through those words, you know, um, you know, I mean, and, and just when just get to the point, yeah, that's my, know, that's my mindset. Yeah. When it comes, just what are you trying to say? Yeah. Just, yeah. just and, plainly say it. And that's know? the, that's the Western mindset. Yeah. Just tell me. Just tell me, you know, yeah. So, so this metaphorical language is much more of a cultural thing, you know. But also trying to describe things that, you know, for instance, let's let's just go back two hundred years, and and let's describe um, the iPhone. Oh yeah. To people who, I mean, the. Uh, um, you mean the people that don't have electricity yet? Yeah. Yeah. People that don't have electric, like like you can't use words like computer or app. <laughs> Or, or even I, I don't power. Know what, power. When you said power, like you, all you power, they'd be like, like, the, like the king. And like, no, no. You have to uh, like use lightning as a. So you, yeah, you, right. you basically bottle lightning, right. and and in a small amounts, it could be utilized for different. You, it'd be in. So see what we're doing now. We're using metaphorical language. To wow, describe. yeah, you just sounded like a biblical scholar. Just did. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Maybe, yeah. I, maybe I'm a poet. You're yeah, right. and so that's really what it is. You know, I mean, how do I take these these things that are indescribable and, and and put it in a way that man can understand? I think that is honestly profound for me, at least, to think, you know, that, that exercise we just did, you know, try to describe, you know, and I thought, what language are you, did we just naturally come to mm -hmm. that Scotty, you know, came to? Sounds a lot like yeah. the book of Revelation. Right. Look exactly. at our Star Spangled Banner was basically a... Uh, it's its own story of what took place on a particular day. Right. Our national anthem. Right. Yeah. You know, is 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 a is a poem of imagery. Right. On what took place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. In in school, like, oh, see, they're talking about these facts that we know historically. But yeah, if you're just to rockets, red glare. Yeah. yeah. Instead of the rockets were were flying in and destroying stuff. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Right. That's how we'd want to describe it. Yeah. Want to see it that yeah. way. Yeah, and 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 I want to say this. I, not that John is romanticizing what's happening. He's just he. It's it's the only way that he can describe mm -hmm. what's being revealed to him. You know, um, 
and uh, I, I think he's he's putting it as as literal as he can right now, what he is seeing, you know, and so he's using this metaphorical language to say this represents this, this represents this, that you know, if if we're not using literal descriptions, you know, so you know if if uh, you know if Brennan, you know, no offense. Uh, to Veronica or anything, but um, if if you were going on a date with with someone that you hadn't seen, you know, you would be like, describe her, describe him to me, you know, oh, yeah. you know, she has brown hair. Oh, what? But what's you know, like I need I need what more kind of brown, that, you know, yeah. like it, what, what what's the personality like? Oh, she's fun. Well, what's fun? You know, yeah. I mean, you you need, and so John Context. is trying to, yeah, I, I I need something that like like uh, that I get like more than just these these very primitive descriptions, mm. you know. And so John is trying to he's he's trying to he's trying to uh, uh, describe what he is seeing a literal person of of Jesus, but in ways that really uh, help people understand the character and um not just the 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 uh how jesus looks but but what he's representing and and the character and and what he's conveying in his appearance let's not so. forget why he's writing this down right the son of man asked him to do it yeah so you don't think he's gonna <laughs> think just hey i better i better go into some detail here yeah you know yeah, i better sure. make sure that what i'm writing down is legit and people are going to understand it. Yeah. If Jesus asked, shows like, up, you're like, I, I, I want to make sure I do this well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, correct me if I'm, if I'm misunderstanding you. Uh, but yeah, he, you were saying like he, he basically he didn't write it in a pretentious way. That right. Way, no. Though. It wasn't, he's not romanticizing. He's not right. trying to create it to, to be more than it is. Yeah. He's just trying to describe what it is in ways that people can really understand the, the full weight of what's going on right he, he wasn't like well if i watch this guys i'm, I'm such a good poet he's yeah. saying wow this is insane how yeah. do i i have to use this language to yeah correctly illustrate what's yeah. happening what he I'm doesn't seeing. have to make jesus more than he is right you know it's he's impossible just, he's do. just he's just describing what he is mm-hmm. that, that's always been for me i'm like okay yeah and it, 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 I'm a product of yeah our Western culture because uh, whenever I hear like oh this they're using this language or yeah think of it as like this is a poem or a, a song or a psalm or whatever I'm like okay but why didn't they just do it how in my Western culture it would help me understand yeah. and yeah. this is. Yeah, the book of Revelation has given me revelation on all sorts of different yeah, things of yeah. the Bible. So. And that's our goal, really. I mean, that's our yeah. goal is to okay, let's 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 make this come alive in a way that it has it. Not not that, hey, listen to me, I'm super smart guy that has all the answers to revelation. Let's let's let revelation reveal itself for what it is. You know, mm-hmm. this is written to encourage, to give hope, to to help us endure and persevere through our patmos. And uh, and so, you know, that's just to kind of wrap things up today. That's just kind of what I want to encourage everybody with as we end this podcast. Whatever your Patmos is, all of these descriptions from gray hair to flaming feet to swords coming out of the mouth. And, and I know we didn't get in essence all of those descriptions, mm-hmm. but um, maybe we'll try to work those in somewhere in the next podcast. But the, the truth of it all 
the the real brass tacks of it all is that God is sufficient for it, mm. you know, um, and and God is sufficient for whatever revelation is going to reveal from now on. He is sufficient for it all, you know. I think the big question that all of us have to answer for our Patmos is: Is God good, and is God able? Mm. You know, um, is God good? Is God in His essence good? And is God in his power able? Um, and, and I think this description of Jesus uh, really gives us a clear indication that, that, that he is all of that, and we'll see that persist uh, throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, so next time we'll try to uh, jump into some other things. Um, uh, chapter 2 uh, kind of conveys. It's, I, I love, it's one of my favorite things to teach on is the letters to the seven churches. So it'll, it'll probably take some time. I it'll, it may be a podcast for each one yeah. as, as we go through that time, but just kind of read through the first three chapters. And, and again, we're not going to read verse by verse. This isn't a verse by verse podcast. Um, but, uh, I, I, I just assume that you're going to read it and, and we'll kind of break things down and flesh it out as we go along. So, um, yeah, if, and again, if there's any questions, um, about anything, you know, feel free to, uh, email me, um, and uh, and, and you know, um, speaking of that, I'm hoping to, I hopefully by episode one I already have put the email in. So um, for if it as isn't obvious already to the listeners, we uh, sort of backlogged uh, some episodes. But yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, on episode one uh, in the intro or something, they will have an email to to get a yeah. hold of you by. So yeah yeah just email me with uh, questions or things that you feel like I left undone. I would love to answer those uh, for you so and maybe even uh we'll have an episode like a q and a episode sure. you know yeah. occasionally to kind of you know air out some of those things yeah yeah because I know as we go through these podcasts we're not going to touch on everything mm. that's not my intent again um, is to do a verse by verse really really super detailed uh, breakdown of that. Um, um, but you know, I'm hoping like today that we've just given you some, some encouragement and some hope, um, that, that, uh, you're, you're going to get through your Patmos mm -hmm. and that, uh, Christ is sufficient for it all. So, yeah. Maybe some revelation. Or some <laughs> revelation, uh, about how to deal with your Patmos. Yeah. yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, I guess, uh, that should do it for today. All right. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. <laughs>